0: Stuff Podcasts.
1: Hey there, just popping in to remind you this podcast contains frank conversations about sex, and in this episode, about toxic and manipulative relationships. If you need help, we will include details of support services in the show notes. Some names have also been changed. This podcast was made with the support of New Zealand On Air.
0: We were like constantly looking at our calendars and being like, when can we next to each other? And we were just like, whoa, oh my gosh, what is
1: happening? Like, we'd never had that experience before. Is there anything more
2: incredible and more agonising than a crush? I'm... Um. Crush
0: Central, I see people and I'll fall deeply and madly in love with them.
1: Whoa, this is full on and I've known you for like four days and maybe I'm in love with you.
2: What else has the power to instantly turn you into a completely different person? I
3: switched from being this cool, independent person to just thinking I would drop anything.
0: When he made me feel loved, I felt on top of the world to switch off all your mental faculties, the ones that'd usually
2: say, hang on a minute, maybe we should think about this, and instead just slam the foot on the
1: accelerator. You get caught up in this whirlwind of all this excitement, and then you don't really notice what's going on.
0: I mean, initially, I'm not gonna lie, the red flags thing, I was running
3: towards them like they were fucking party bunting.
2: I'm Melody Thomas, and this is The Good Sex Project, a series about good sex good relationships, and how to find them. In this episode, we're going to launch into that hectic, confusing time when you've just met someone new and you can't stop thinking about them. And we're going to learn about some of the things that can go wrong. We'll talk about red flags and toxic behaviours, including some red flags that start out looking and feeling like green flags. We're going to hear from real people who fell into the bad relationship trap who are sharing their stories with us in the hopes they can help others avoid the same. Let's get started. Here's the good news about why crushes can make such fools of us. Or maybe it's bad news, I don't know, you tell me. It's your brain's fault. We talk about having chemistry with another person. Well, all that stomach-churning and heart-fluttering, that's literally what it is. It's your body's biochemistry. Here's how it works. The basic ingredients of a crush are dopamine, cortisol, norepinephrine, and serotonin. This is a bit oversimplified, so the biochemists and our audience will have to excuse us. But it'll do for our purposes. Serotonin is a mood stabiliser, and when you've got a crush, it drops, making you a little wobbly. Meanwhile, your cortisol goes up, and cortisol is a stress hormone. This makes your brain dump out dopamine, the pleasure-seeking hormone, which produces the highly excitable norepinephrine, So all the hormones that usually keep you chill and balanced are running low. And the ones that make you anxious and energetic are super high. Which makes it very difficult to think clearly. Quiet! Jeez, No wonder love turns us all into such beautiful idiots. We can't even trust our own bodies to make sense of what's going on. And that makes us
0: really vulnerable, especially when we're new to the game. So we met through Tinder, and it was also, I think, the first Tinder date I'd ever been on.
2: This is Harper. She's the one in the last episode who gave a guy a handjob to get him to leave. And she'll be glad to know that in this episode we're going to learn more about her so she won't be known as Bad Handjob Gal for much longer. Harper's in her mid-twenties, so she was in high school maybe seven or eight years ago, and like a lot of people, her sexuality education was
0: based on all the things that can go wrong. Learning about STIs, contraception, instilled a lot of fear in me around sex. I was like, After learning about that, I was like, I'm living my life in a bubble, nobody touched me. When it came to relationships, Harper
2: learned a little bit about unhealthy relationships in school, but it was all pretty obvious
0: stuff. And at home... Yeah, my parents split up when I was younger and I, I don't really feel like I had role models for healthy relationships, much if at all, growing up.
2: So when Harper got to university and started dating for the first time, she was quite unprepared. When I went to uni, I hadn't even made out with someone yet, so it was, I, wasn't, I wasn't rushing. <laughs> Harper was also dealing with some health issues that made dating and hooking up a bit more difficult. Harper has chronic fatigue syndrome, which is the result of a traumatic brain injury that she got earlier in her life. Chronic fatigue's a severe and debilitating illness. It causes extreme fatigue, which can last months or years.
0: Which I managed with, like, rests in an early night. And so I think for me there was a lot of anxiety that I was just going to be, like, too inconvenient for people with my new life schedule. So much of uni life
2: happens at night, and Harper couldn't be part of it. She worried she might never meet somebody. And then she matched with this guy on Tinder. He was, like, really lovely and seemed really interested in me. Even better, he was chill about the chronic fatigue stuff. And he wasn't from New Zealand. His visa was nearly
0: up, so going out with him didn't need to be a huge commitment. So I think in my head it was like, yeah, let's just spend as much time together as we can. You know, this can be my summer fling um, before he moves back. Scientists call this early part of a relationship
2: infatuation or attraction. If you were to scan a person's brain during this phase, you'd notice increased activity in the ventral tagmental area, the VTA. This is the reward processing and motivation hub of the brain. It fires when you do something like eat a treat or take drugs you're overly fond of. Activation of the VTA releases dopamine, which feels really good and encourages you to seek out the thing that triggered it. And Harper's VTA was firing every
0: time this guy said something like, I'm so glad I met you. And he was like, I just want to see you. Like, even if I can come for an hour, like, I just want to see you. This was early on, like after a few dates. Constantly looking at like our calendars and being like, when can we next to each other? And it made me feel so special.
2: Okay, last bit of nerdy brain science, pretty much. You know about the prefrontal cortex, right? That's the part of our brain responsible for reasoning, comprehension and impulse control. It's pretty important. And when some people are newly infatuated, they show decreased functioning in this part of the brain. Have you ever been raving to your friends about someone new and they're like, "Mm, I don't know about this person. Okay, maybe you're right and they're wrong, but it could also be that your prefrontal cortex is not functioning that well, which is pretty alarming. When it comes to Harper, though, this guy wasn't showing any obvious red flags. Things were moving a bit quick, but isn't that just what happens when you're really into someone? It felt really exciting at first, and it felt really cool. Then this guy's plans changed and he decided
0: to stay around in Aotearoa for a bit longer. And the relationship just kept going. We first went monogamous and then like boyfriend, girlfriend. And then things started to get, well, here's how she puts it. Just like slowly started getting shittier, I guess.
2: Inevitably, every new relationship starts to lose a bit of its glow. Once we've moved from attraction into the attachment phase, our emotions start to settle. And the rose-tinted lenses fade to regular old lenses. So the problems in our relationship come
0: into better focus. It was like, just kind of subtle things that he'd say, and the things that his friends would say as well. His friends were really into the doghouse trope. So, I don't know what um, that is. so that's the um, oh, like he's in the doghouse, yes, house. yeah. Like sometimes he'd be like to me, like, oh, I didn't have anything planned for Valentine's Day, and my friend said that I was going to be in the doghouse, and I was like, I actually don't care about Valentine's Day, but it made me feel like anything, if I ever raised an issue, it was just going to be dismissed and be like, oh, he's in the doghouse, somebody's in the doghouse. As she says, these things were subtle and they were hard to put a finger on. But there did seem to be a lot of them. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's come back to me now. He would reply to like these new friends that he made um, that were women. He would reply to them on like Snapchat, and but like not open my snaps for like two weeks sometimes. <laughs> but he replied to them instantly. It was like he was trying to make her jealous. And then he, he kind of said, well, we made friends with these girls in town. They invited us to their party next week and I just have to go. And then he was like, don't worry, you're prettier or something. And I was like, well, I wasn't worried. But when you say that, it makes me anxious. Just a
2: reminder, Harper couldn't go out at night. So it was always going to be him going to these parties without her.
0: Every woman I was looking at, I was seeing his competition for his attention. It was horrible. Like this does not fit with my feminist will view it all. Occasionally he'd say sorry (laughs) and made it seem like he was going to do something about it or like not do it again. But nothing ever changed. And somehow every conversation about
2: something that Harper didn't like would end up turning into a conversation where she was the issue.
0: Yes. Oh, and the gaslighting. It made me feel like something's wrong with me. In case you don't know what gaslighting is, it's a
2: type of manipulation where an abuser attempts to sow self-doubt and confusion in their victim's mind by denying the facts, like, that never happened, but as well by invalidating their feelings. The word gaslight actually comes from an old play that got turned into a movie in 1944 where the protagonist's husband slowly manipulates her into going mad. And that's what it can do. Totally erode someone's confidence in their own account and make them feel like they're losing it or like they overreacted or got things wrong when actually getting upset was completely justified.
0: So if I like raised an issue, it was just like... I don't see why this is a problem. I think you're being too sensitive or too emotional or that's crazy. (laughs) There's, you know, there's a lot of tropes in there of the overly emotional woman.
2: As well as the smaller things, there were other things
0: that hurt more. I said no to sex once when we we were having sex. Harper was in pain, so she told him, nah, I'm actually not up for penetration tonight. And then he like had a wee sulk and he was like I just need some time otherwise I'm gonna get angry and so I just let him you know turn his back to me and go on his phone and try not to cry. Like what I would have wanted was to be comforted and be like that's okay like I still love you but when he did that it made me feel like I wasn't as lovable if I'm not like putting out and it felt emotionally unsafe. We used to make out for ages when we were saying goodbye. And then it got to a point where he was like, I don't want to make out unless we're going to have sex because you'll get me hard. And he didn't want to get hard unless he was going to come. And also the only way he wanted to come was through penetrative sex. Very kind of like controlling and heteronormative. Like in the movie Gaslight,
2: the really sinister part about gaslighting is it can make you feel like you're losing your mind,
0: which makes you act irrationally and just reinforces the whole dynamic there was this one night where I felt like he had paid way more attention to this other woman than he had to me and it was obviously like sitting with me but I didn't verbalize it and then he was staying at mine and in the middle of the night I just woke up and I just like started crying um and then I was kind of mad at the fact that he didn't wake up immediately but he eventually woke up (laughs) um and all I said was to him I was like I hate you And he was like, "What did I do?" And I couldn't articulate it. And that's what happens when you like you've been gaslit because it's like you suppress all these emotions, and then all of a sudden they come out, and you're like, "I hate you." Um, And that's part of why they do it because then they can keep painting you as crazy because you're reacting in these
3: big ways. How do you protect? yourself from being used emotionally.
2: This is Clementine Ford. She's the Australian
3: feminist, author and podcaster who we've heard from a little bit already. There's a writer called Tracy Morrissey who wrote an article back in like 2008, I think. And this article was titled The Emotional Conquistador is the New Sexual Conquistador. And she made the argument that you know, prior to the sexual liberation movement and prior to women being able to have sex whenever they wanted, the way to kind of break a woman down was to get her to let you sleep with her. But it's no longer a goal to, you know, to get a woman to sleep with you because women have sexual agency and they have, you know, they know what sexual pleasure is. So the way that it shifted then in terms of like conquering women for men was we need to emotionally conquer them. And we emotionally conquer them by... Not promising them anything, but by showing them that soft, vulnerable side. Letting them in, you know, I just feel like I've never... It's like real, a real soft boy thing. A soft boy is a guy who knows how to come across as a nice guy, but who's actually super toxic. And she described this situation in which she, this person who had never let men soft boy her before, met this guy who just kind of got past the emotional barricade and... She was drawn in and sucked into it and really believed what he was saying and he was, he was kind of like laying it all bare for her emotionally. I've read this article since
2: I spoke with Clem and what happened to the
3: writer, Tracy Morrissey,
2: sounds really similar to Harper's situation. Within the first week, this guy was telling Tracy he was head over heels and he wanted to just hold her all night rather than sleep with her,
3: that he could see himself falling in love with her and she bought it. And then the next time he sees her, he's cold and distant and he spends the night you know fobbing her off and then when he drops her off he says you know I just need some space i'm not i think i, ra- I raced too much into this and she was like okay and she gets out of the car and then he co- comes back to her and he says i've made a you know making a huge mistake you know let's try let's do this and she's like okay because by, she's in the trap she's in the trap And so then it turned just quite, like, hot and
0: cold.
2: We're back with Harper.
0: And when it was hot, you know, when he made me feel loved, I felt on top of the world. And then when it was cold, I felt worthless. And then I was just always chasing that hot. Like, it is so addictive. It's so addictive.
2: I know this feeling, and maybe you do too. When you've spent a week or a month in a loved-up cocoon with someone who's telling you everything you've ever wanted to hear, it can really mess you up when they suddenly go off you. Like, what have I done? How can I make it good again? He was definitely doing the love bombing. (laughs) Love bombing is excessive attention, admiration and affection, often really early in the game and it can look and feel exactly like a rom-com, like true love stuff, which is what makes it so confusing. But the purpose of all of this affection is to make the person on the receiving end dependent on the abuser. Basically, all this love and attention gives you a dopamine hit that you want to return for over and over, plus it makes you feel obligated to the person dishing it out. You know, they've been so nice, they're so into me, I can't say no or ditch them, they'll be hurt. But the love bombing never lasts. Once a person's hooked, things switch. After the break, we head into places on the internet best avoided.
0: Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. i played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and, of course, everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist,
2: and
0: I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me, I'm Dan, and we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan
1: and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility.
0: You've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely.
1: Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers? You don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending.
3: This very blunt abrasive doctor who I had you know had not seen before who delivered the news it's just like you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The
1: human race where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it and so I feel really lucky so it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.
2: For this episode of The Good Sex Project, I did a bunch of research on gaslighting and love bombing, which took me down some pretty gross rabbit holes. Reading so-called pick-up artists bragging about the ways that they coax and coerce people into sleeping with them with a mixture of flattery and psychological manipulation. Now, the overwhelming majority of pickup artists are men, but of course, men can also be the victims of abuse and manipulative relationships. And for men, reporting this abuse can come with additional levels of shame because of how unmanly it is to identify yourself as a victim. But for whatever reasons, <coughs> the patriarchy, there's just not very many women on the internet teaching each other how to trick men into having sex with them. But as well as the outright abusers, there's also people who gaslight or undermine their partners unintentionally. Because they're insecure or frustrated, and they haven't been taught a better way, so they're using the one tool that seems to work for them in lieu
1: of anything better. It's not an excuse. It's still abusive. I try to be very careful in relationships, but sometimes you don't realise how bad things are. You can sort of brush it off. This is Sophie. She's 27,
2: bisexual, and lives in Ōtautahi Christchurch. Sophie says that she grew up witnessing relationships around her that she now understands were abusive. And in her early 20s, she ended up in one herself. But it didn't start out abusive.
1: He'd sing songs for me, and like all the time serenade me, he'd like make live videos, and I wasn't around. And it was just like, it was just very hectic.
2: You know where this is going. It was, you're the
1: greatest thing in the world, you know, and I'm going to introduce it to all my friends. I can't wait to show my friends off to you. And yeah, they were amazing. They are amazing people, but they were under a, a certain spell that this person has. And sometimes now I will be a little bit more suspicious of the overly charming people, the overly friendly, mm-hmm. absorbing your personality as if it was their own. Those people, I'm just like, oh, you present well. But what's underneath that? Why are you so obsessed with everyone loving you? And that can be a red flag too, I think. Eventually the cracks
2: started to show through this guy's charming personality.
1: He said, well, if you leave, I'll kill myself. And this was a month into it. And that's when I was like, oh no, (laughs) I fell in love with the wrong person. Yeah.
2: Nobody wants to see the person that they care about struggling. But telling someone that if they leave you, you'll kill yourself is manipulation and control. It's never okay.
1: If you leave a relationship, you will survive. You're an adult. You know, you will be okay. If you do feel depressed, you get help. You know, you reach out to the help. You're proactive and you do that. You don't say that to someone.
2: Sophie left that relationship, and eventually she met someone else who was really into her and super considerate a lot of the time. Like her old boyfriend, he struggled with mental health issues and poor self-esteem, and Sophie found herself walking on eggshells just to keep him level.
1: But yes, it comes back to, you know, my previous partners. Like, they just make you so responsible for their own mental state, so you feel like you do have to monitor yourself. Yeah. And how my mum explained it when I talked to her about it, she's like, he's just emotionally very lazy. You're doing an, a disproportionate amount of the emotional labour. And then, yeah, I guess that's not doesn't make you feel very sexy either.
2: Sex was actually an area where things had always worked quite well for these two. And her boyfriend was pretty open about sex. Like, he talked to Sophie about issues he'd had in his previous relationship.
1: Yeah, so... He'd kind of spoken to me about it loosely, about how in his past relationship he would prefer, I guess, watching pornography to actually being intimate with his own girlfriend and it would just create this vicious cycle where she'd get angry and then he'd be like, well, I obviously don't want to have sex with you now. But then the same dynamic started creeping into their relationship. What was hard for me was if he would be preferring to watch pornography. That, I, I couldn't live with that. That was horrible. One thing that always made me uncomfortable was, you know, at work, if it wasn't busy, he'd be watching it there. And I was like, why would you? Okay, so for me personally, I think if you're in a relationship like masturbation, getting to know your own body, I think it's really healthy. Like, I think if you're in touch with your own body, It makes it so much better with another person. So I'd never be like, don't do that, you know. It's like, yeah, do it, like, go for it. But taking it into a space where it's inappropriate is just, to me, really strange. Sophie
2: started to feel like her and her boyfriend were standing on either side of a gulf that was just getting wider and wider. And sex, which used to be this thing that pulled them together to a place of connection, wasn't happening anymore. And then it got worse when her boyfriend started messaging porn creators.
1: People's notes, they'd be commenting on it like, hey, which city are you in? Are you in Christchurch? Are you in Auckland? Are you here? Or like, comment on herself. They'd be like, oh my God, you're so hot with like emoji, you know, like the thirsty emoji. And I was just like, oh, I hate that emoji so much now. Oh, every time I see it, my stomach just sinks.
2: I'm guessing this boyfriend was using OnlyFans, which is a site where creators, some of them, adult content creators, upload videos and pictures, and you can subscribe to access them. Plus, you can contact creators directly. We're not going to get into the pros and cons. It's complex, and we don't have the time to do it justice. But the ability to reach out to adult content creators does create some blurry lines when it comes to relationships.
1: I think people need to preface these things at the start of a relationship what's okay what isn't it's not jealous it's just this is my boundary you can take it or leave it you know I think it's okay to have non-negotiables in a relationship for me yeah like giving that kind of sexual attention to somebody else even if you don't plan on having sex with them it's icky it doesn't make me feel good therefore I don't want to live like that just before we did this interview Sophie and her boyfriend
3: actually broke up
1: It's like, he feels like an idiot now. It's like, he lost a real one, you know?
2: I think when you hear this story, it can seem obvious that this relationship wasn't going that great. There's probably exceptions, but generally, unless your partner's fully on board with the idea... Don't message adult content creators about their nudes when you're in a relationship with someone else. But we've all been inside a situation that was really confusing, and then you look back and go, Shit.
1: Hindsight is twenty-twenty. All that stuff. It is hard, like, when you love somebody, when they are in the midst of their own trauma as well. You make excuses In
2: this episode, we've heard about just a few of the tools that abusers and narcissists can use to get people dependent on them and confused, and how those things can be so hard to spot. So what's the takeaway? Are we just supposed to never trust anyone ever again? What
4: are the flags? What are all the flags? (laughs) What are the fucking flags?
2: This is the Melbourne-based psychosexologist Chantal Otten, who we last heard from in episode four.
4: Because it's very easy to fall into a situation, yeah, where you're with a very smart person who says all the right things and then gets you into a kind of locked in space and goes, ha ha, like, sorry, I'm not that great. You have to do, you know, all of these things for me. I think that it's very important for people to understand their, um, have you heard of schema therapy? I hadn't, but schema therapy combines elements of a whole lot of different
2: therapies into this integrative approach that helps people figure out any unhelpful coping methods and patterns that they might have picked up in childhood in order to change
4: them. Every problem we have is because of our parents, right? <laughs> but I think if you can understand your schemas, so for example, that might be, you might have been emotionally deprived a lot as a younger person so having someone that gives you a lot of emotional attention can be very much overcompensating for your lack of emotional attention when you were younger or you can get with someone who also doesn't give you emotional attention so then you're leaning into your schema and you're continuing that narrative and you're wondering why you keep getting hurt and hurt by the same people and why do I always pick the wrong people so there's different ways of understanding and processing the reasons that you kind of get into relationships, and I think if you can get yourself to a place where you have a bit of confidence um, and understand your nuances, what turns you on, what doesn't turn you on, what what your stories are, and what your inner child is looking for, that can help you a little bit with avoiding narratives that are not that healthy however it's really really difficult and I think it's important to be very kind to yourself we can't change them they have to make that decision we can only do us which is why I'm saying try and lean into your um, I guess your own background and understanding yourself as best possible so that you can know that you've done your best
2: when we last left Harper she was breaking down in the middle of the night with no words to explain
0: how she was feeling except I hate you After that, they did make up. And then he said, I promise I will never break up with you. And I was like, don't promise that. Why would you promise that? Like, that's so silly. But he insisted on promising, and he does not make promises lightly. And then he broke up with me, and I was pissed. (laughs) I was like, I thought the ball was in my court. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I am, looking back, glad that he did. Um, But he broke up with me because... Um, he felt like he was going to cheat on me. So valiant. <laughs> no, and he knew that I would never forgive him if he did. It ended in a not very nice night where I was yelling at him a lot. <laughs> um, and at the time I hated myself so much for that, I didn't like eat properly for a month. But now I'm like, you know, it wasn't grateful for anything wasn't respectful, but I protected myself better that night than I ever have in that, you know, relationship with him.
2: It took Harper a long time to get back on her feet again. But she still didn't have a clear picture of what had actually happened until about three months after the breakup when she was talking to a friend.
0: And she was like, "Oh." I'm glad you're out of that manipulative relationship. And that was when I first was like, oh, I guess it was manipulative. And it was a few months after that where I understood that it was abusive. We know that relationships
2: are difficult. If they weren't, people wouldn't split up and cheat and fight but sometimes I worry that the way we frame relationships as inevitably difficult and sometimes hurtful sets people up to expect and tolerate those things more than they should. Because there's a difference between facing down relationship issues alongside a willing partner and feeling like every issue within your relationship is your fault. Or like you're never seen or listened to. Like you're losing your sense of
0: yourself or losing your mind and so I started going to counselling because I thought something was wrong with me. And I'm so glad that I ended up in counselling because when we did break up, I had that counsellor and I thought he was going to be my life fever and we were going to be friends. And she was like, if you want to be friends with someone after a breakup, I always recommend you need at least eight to 10 weeks of like no contact. That space definitely helped me understand that that relationship was not healthy. Yeah, and like two weeks after I was like, I don't feel crazy anymore. I was like all my emotions feel like normal responses. Wow, <laughs> like yeah.
2: Harper definitely felt more steady once she was out of that relationship, but it took her ages to learn to trust
0: another person romantically. So I have had one other relationship since then, which didn't last that long, but it was very like, oh my gosh, are they love bombing me if they were, you know, being like nice and stuff. Yeah, it was really challenging to trust that they were giving me that affection and they weren't just going to take it away. Were you able to communicate that? And like with your experience? I, it took me a while and I remember I was... Like very anxious because I was just so scared that like I was gonna get gaslit and be like, um, or he'd be like, "Oh, she's crazy. I'm yeah, out of here." Exactly. And but then I worked up the courage and I told him, and he was like really understanding and supportive. And I and I remember being like to him, I was like, "I know it's like the bare minimum, but you're so nice."
3: <laughs> and that it's yeah. not a
0: trick. No, yeah, it wasn't. And I still believe that, like, he's a good person. You know, I, I like to think that one day we'll <laughs> live in a world, we probably won't, but I like to vision a world where people, you know, won't have those ulterior kind of motives to that kind of stuff, and their affection will be, like, genuine.
2: Eventually, Harper and the second boyfriend broke up, but don't worry, it's all good. It was an amicable split. But what was actually harder after that than learning to trust other people
0: was learning to trust yourself. Now I'm in a good place, but it was very hard. Like after that abusive relationship, it was like, why did he treat me that way when he told me he loved me? And trying to figure that out. And then it was also this like, why did I stay? That's, I think, where you lose the trust in yourself. But then I started to think about it. It's like I would not ask that of another woman. I wouldn't. say so be like, "Why did you stay?" I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're out."
2: Getting into an abusive or manipulative relationship at any age is going to have a negative impact on your life, well beyond the life of the relationship itself. So it's important we learn to identify some of the early red flags or orange flags, or green flags with the potential to flip to red. And it's especially important for our young people. In 2022, a big online survey by Canter, which included disproportionately higher numbers of Māori and Pacifica in order to get more information about these groups, found that 9 out of 10 people between ages 16 and 24 reported harmful behaviour in a relationship, from being humiliated in front of others, to being isolated from friends and family, being frightened of making their partner angry, all the way up to physical arguments. Nine
0: out of ten. Yeah, and I think also because it was my first relationship, I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to feel that way.
2: Relationships can be hard, that is true. But there are some things you should never feel, no matter who you are, who your partner is, or how long you've been together. You shouldn't ever feel scared of the other person. You shouldn't feel like you have to constantly walk on eggshells to keep them happy. Their happiness is their responsibility. It's normal to feel jealous sometimes, but jealousy should not be weaponised as a form of control. No one gets to decide who you talk to, where you go or what you wear. It's also normal to get carried away and say something you regret, but being called names, being put down or humiliated by the person who's supposed to care for you is also not okay. When it comes to the other stuff that's less obvious, Follow your gut, but when your body's having trouble making sense of it all, talk to your friends. Good friends will be able to point out the stuff you're not ready to see yet. Trust them. They've got your back.
4: I always like to, you know, recommend if you don't have a good therapist, you know, you've got to have some friends around you that are really sick. We're back with Chantal Otten. Who's there to pull the parachute if things are really not going well and if you are suffering and if you are kind of, it's taking a big toll on your health you need to have someone there to say it needs to stop now. You know, this is not working anymore and you need to take some time and learn how to be alone for a little bit and be by yourself. We've heard a lot about
2: stuff to watch out for. Red flags that signal things aren't right.
4: But what about the good stuff? The green flags? Obviously you want someone that is interested in you and curious and who also follows up, you know, how are you going? Can we catch up again? You want to be playing back and forth with each other. I think it's also really nice to see how they behave around their friendship groups and their families and how they interact with those people and I guess nourish those relationships as well. It's always good to listen to their style of communication, you know, Do they speak positively about the people around them? Do they speak positively about their past partners? What is it that you can notice from their level of communication that you go, okay, like even when there's been challenges here, I can see that there is growth and this person has, I guess, a good healthy mindset around human imperfection and gratitude for what they do have as well. And, you know, someone who's doing therapy, that's always a nice thing as well, isn't it? (laughs) Or open to therapy because... At the end of the day, things are going to get tough and you're going to need some help. We can't figure it all out ourselves. It's like in my relationship, I'm not the therapist here. Um, I'm just as neurotic as anyone else when I'm in love or, you know, having a tough time. So I think that it's super important to have someone who is open-minded to asking for help, being vulnerable um, and being authentic with their, their downfalls or their shortcomings as well. I really don't think there is such thing as like, a bad person, or I think that people have bad traits, you need to have a partner that's willing to grow. It's time to finish up this
2: episode, which I know will have been quite intense for a lot of people. The next one is going to be a bit easier. But Harper had one last thing she wanted to share before we left.
0: I maybe just want to note that when you're, like, disabled... And I can only speak to my experience, but I felt like nobody was gonna like me because I was just inconvenient. But it's turned out that like, it's for the most part been fine. Sometimes it's a bit challenging to like schedule things and actually find times where we're both free. Nobody I've ever dated has seen it as a problem. Like I was worried that they might. The world
2: is full of noise about who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to feel and look and act. And a lot of us, and I count myself in this, find it really hard to tune into our inner voices, into that part of us that knows what good feels like, what loved and respected and cared for feel like. But you know. You do. And if you don't, If you weren't shown love and care when you were young, or if that love and care came with strings attached, or it was hot and cold and you had to work for it, I'm sorry. That's not fair, and you deserved better. If you can, get some help to untangle it all. To get to a place of real self-love and self-worth, where the bar for how you expect to be treated is naturally high because you set it there with how you treat yourself. One last thing. If listening to this episode has made you realise that you're the one gaslighting, undermining or abusing your partner, get help now. There are other ways to operate. You can learn new tools I know it's scary to let go of the stuff that keeps someone with you out of fear or obligation, because then the only thing keeping them there is you. And maybe in your life, somebody led you to believe that you weren't enough either. But you were enough then, and you can be again. Do the work, get some help. Your partner deserves better than a relationship based on fear. And so do you. Thank you for listening to The Good Sex Project, a series made with the support of New Zealand On Air. If you want to get in touch with me or with the team, please send us a message. You can do that on Instagram at goodsexproject or email goodsexproject at gmail.com. We love to hear from you and we are preparing for a second season. So get in touch if you have something you really want to hear about or if you have a story of your own to share. And of course, if you're enjoying the series... Tell your friends and give us some stars and some nice words on your favourite podcast platform. The Good Sex Project was written and developed by me, Melody Thomas. Our producer and audio editor is Kirsten Johnstone from Popsock Media. Phil Brownlee recorded me in the studio, and our sound mix is by Mark Chesterman. The beautiful soundtrack music is by Paddy Fred, with additional music by the Wellington band Womb. Find both of them on Bandcamp. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues.
3: You don't want to be held to account what, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics.
2: No, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo that gotcha journalism. Hang
3: into the National Party's no, attack line no, there, that, but I what, think Chris, it would be a
0: resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax
2: reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing effing there. That sits
0: with you perfectly
2: fine. That's what we're focused on.
0: Whatever
1: happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.